Okay, we're closing out our series on checking your vital signs. How are your vital signs? When you go to a doctor, he's going to examine you and check your vital signs. You might be doing worse or better than you think, but the vital signs will tell you how you're doing. And sometimes you can lie to yourself. Well, I feel fine. The doctor looks at you and says, holy cow, you've got stage four cancer. You just don't know until you are checked. Then they may take some blood because the Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood and the blood doesn't lie. So it will tell you what's going on in your body. Kind of interesting, huh? It's, it, it is kind of interesting. So we, we've been looking at vital signs, spiritual life, how are we doing? We looked at our financial health and now we're going to look at relationships today. In many stores, you can find a section of merchandise where you can get a great deal. The tip-off is there's a little tag attached to the clothes in that section that always have the same two words on them, as is, as is. That's a nice way of saying, hey, these are damaged goods, Gladys. Sometimes they're called slightly irregular. Did you marry one? <laughs> that sign is telling me in advance, you're going to find a flaw here, a stain that won't come out, a zipper that won't quite zip, a button that won't button. We're not going to tell you where the flaw is. You're going to have to look for it. Now, we know it's there. So when you find it, and you will find it, don't come whining and sniveling to us about it. You won't get any refund or exchanges or sympathy. Don't expect perfection. Not here. You have received fair warning. If you want this item, only one way to get it. You got to take it as is. I was thinking, wouldn't it be kind of cool if there were a thing in, in truth, the truth in advertising law for people? And th those of you who are single, what if dating services or single bars or churches required everyone to wear a tag that said slightly bruised self-esteem, mildly impaired ability to commit, or giant black hole that will suck you dry? <laughs> those are real people. If there were a truth in advertising law for people, would anybody ever get married? And if you're dating somebody, you hadn't met them yet. No, no, you haven't. They're, even if they're flawed, they're still on their best behavior with you, and it ain't going to get better if you marry. <laughs> I hear some of the ladies who, who really want to get up and shout, yes, preach it. <laughs> it's true. You know, take a, take a glance at that person to your right or to your left just real quick. Because that person is slightly irregular. There's a little tag on that person, and it says, don't expect perfection. Not here. There's a flaw. And when you find it, and you will find it, don't be shocked. See, whether you're married or single, whether you have kids or not, it's quite possible one of them's going to have some flaws. Some of Jesus' most famous sayings were about difficult relationships. For instance, he says, if somebody strikes you on one cheek, you should turn the other cheek. If somebody asks you for your coat, you should give him your shirt as well. If somebody tries to force you to go one mile, you should go the second mile. That's in Matthew chapter 5. Statements like this that Jesus made are not rules or laws. A lot of people think that these are laws that have to be observed legalistically. 
He is simply contrasting life in his kingdom versus how people who live in the world think, behave, and, and live. It, it what, it's what might be called conventional wisdom, the way people instinctively respond. He's not giving legalistic rules. A classic example of this is in Luke 14. You've probably heard it before. Jesus is teaching. It's a setting of people, and they've been jockeying for the best seats of honor and prestige. And Jesus said, okay, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Here's some good news. Jesus apparently is clearly saying you should not invite your relatives over for dinner. Some of you are going to go home, call up relatives and say, sorry, Jesus says you can't come to my house for Thanksgiving. But that's not what he's saying. So, so is Jesus saying that it's a sin to fix a meal for your relatives? Well, of course not. He's contrasting conventional human wisdom in the world with life in his kingdom. Totally different. Conventional wisdom said, if you're going to do something nice and you're going to do it for somebody, make sure it's somebody who can do something equally nice back to you. You scratch my back. I'll scratch you. Jesus is saying, that's how the world thinks. That's how they think. But he says, in my kingdom, it's different. Sometimes do nice things for people who can't do anything back for you. He's saying, sometimes forget about your own self-interest and give love. Just give it away. It's not giving out legalism here. He's painting a picture of what life in the kingdom of God looks like. It's not wrong to do something for somebody who has esteem or privilege. He's not saying. He's saying, would you do that for somebody who can't do anything back for you? Would you occasionally step out of your, your normal, uh, I scratch you, you scratch me, and help somebody who can't help you back? Would you, would you think like me in the kingdom? See, in this world, people seek revenge. Turn the other cheek, but not in the kingdom of God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And by the way, he can do a better job than you. You want him to repay it. Boy, he knows just how and when and where. And he'll do a lot better job than you. So let him. So he tells us, you just forgive. So apparently Jesus' teachings will require some discernment, some judgment, and adult mature thinking. Jesus wants to form a community of people who have changed lives. See, so, see, if you're still racist, if you're still bigoted, if you still uh, are arrogant, proud, puffed up, self-righteous, think you're better than anybody, he said, you had not met Jesus. You, you just haven't. You, you're, not, you're not transformed yet. So, so how does Jesus teach us to deal with as-is people? Because they're all around you right now. And you'll go home to some of them, and a whole bunch of them are going to come this week. <laughs> so how can we create a community of changed lives and turn a house into a home? Now, one of my friends and a great author, Dr. Henry Cloud, is a Christian psychologist out in Malibu, California. And he comes up with a formula that says this, because if we want 
these as-is people, us, to change, there's a few requirements. So he says, change requires a few ingredients. It requires grace and truth. Grace is the gift of radical acceptance. Truth is the gift of naming reality. See, as-is people, if we're going to change, have to have both. Yeah, I want mercy and I want grace, but also I need to confront some things I'm doing that are wrong and stop doing them. So let's start with grace. Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Romans 15, verse 7. He says, accept one another as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So how did Christ accept you, my friend? As is. (laughs) You messed up terrible. See, no strings, no conditions. You don't have to get better. You don't have to clean yourself up first. He just accepted me and you as is. He says, accept other people the same way Jesus accepted. Ooh, they're not in my neighborhood. Oh, they're, they're, they're poorer than me. Oh, they didn't vote my way. Oh, we, this goes on all the time. He says, I'm going to, if he let this wretched, wretched dog in his kingdom, who am I not to receive you? He says, if he can accept you, you can accept other people. I'm telling you in my kingdom, I want you to do it. Churches don't do it, not much. The, 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 the communities don't do it. Nations don't do it. People of different races typically don't do it. Let me give you a beautiful picture of grace. Several, several years ago in southern Ohio, and you can Google this, there was a football game, and a kid named Jake Porter was on one squad of his high school team. Jake had what is called chromosomal fragile X. He was mentally challenged. But he loved football. So all the way through high school, they allowed him to suit up and work out with the team. He dressed for every game knowing he would never play a down of real football ever. So in the last game of Jake's final season, his coach wanted Jake to get in one game. So he went over and talked to the opposing coach on the other team, and he said, hey, if the game and score is real lopsided, Would it be okay if I put Jake in the game for just one down? We've practiced for four years this play. He would take a knee immediately so there was no risk that anybody would hurt him. Would that be all right with you if I do that? And the other coach said, yeah, that would be okay with him. So they play the game. There are five seconds left. Jake's team is losing 42 to nothing. It's brutal. It's ugly. It's like the Cowboys game two weeks ago. Oh, God help us. So with five seconds to go, the coach calls timeout to put Jake in the game. And all of a sudden, the opposing coach comes racing across the field. And people are wondering, is he mad? Is he upset about something? Did he change his mind? Well, he goes over to Jake's coach and he says, Coach, we don't just want Jake to get in the game. We want Jake to score. And that would mean his team would lose a statistical advantage of being a shutout. Jake's coach says, well, we hadn't practiced that. We've only practiced just take the knee thing. The other coach said, you just give him the ball. We'll all make sure he scores. So Jake's coach goes back to the huddle, points to old Jakey, and he says, Jake, big boy, you're going to the house. Jake starts jumping up and down. 
So the teams line up, the ball gets snapped, and what happens next will go down in Ohio State football history. Jake had practiced taking a knee for a couple of years, and he started to go down. But the whole team starts screaming, don't go down, Jake, don't go down. Jake's team and the rival teams are all pointing to the end zone. Even the referees are pointing Jake to the end zone. Jake slowly, unsecurely walks towards the line, and 21 players part like the Red Sea in front of Moses. Then he took off for the promised land and ran 49 yards. Everybody on the sidelines, everybody on both teams ran along beside Jake. Jake scored. And when he did, the bleachers exploded. People were jumping up and down. People were hugging each other. Some people were crying. Wow. A lot of boys played in that game. And when they grow to be old men, they're going to forget the details of a whole bunch of those games they played. They won't remember a lot of scores, but not one of them will ever forget Jake Porter, who scored the only touchdown. That was grace. You didn't deserve that. You didn't earn that. That's just grace. And that's what every one of you and me get. Grace says you belong. Grace says you are wanted. Grace says you are valued. You don't have to get any bigger, any better, any smarter than you already are. Just be you. Grace is why sinful people flock to Jesus and still flock to him. And by the only people that hated him were religious people, which is pretty much the same. I get pulled aside all the time with people wanting me to preach and use my leadership and this platform for their agenda, whatever, political agenda, something else. And I refuse to be moved from preaching good news, okay? That you can, that's your civil right, have, have at it. But in here, it's a proclamation of good news. In here, it ain't about race. In here, it's about the kingdom of God. And if I can get you to just follow the kingdom of God, we won't have any trouble. Nobody. I ain't going to be robbing your house. I'm not going to be abusing your sister. Nothing's going to happen like that. Not if I'm in the kingdom and I obey the kingdom. You know, when I, or when I fly into a foreign country, I come under the kingdom, that kingdom of that, and the laws of that land. When you step into Jesus, you're in the kingdom of God. And he says, hey, I don't care who you are. I don't care what your politicians voted in your city or your state. I don't care if they legalize you can marry a cocker spaniel. In my kingdom, don't do that. How hard is that, huh? How hard is that? That's not hard. And so people like that flocked to Jesus. And he just walked around and he'd pick people nobody would pick and say, big boy, you're going to the house, even though you are spiritually challenged. And all kinds of people who were spiritually challenged heard Jesus say, I want you. That's grace. See, houses don't turn into homes and churches don't become communities of changed lives without lots of grace. But it can't be just grace. It's grace and truth. See, let me show you a dad in the Bible who had problems with the truth part. This is a guy named Eli. He served his whole life as God's priest. He loved God. He served God. He had two sons named Hophni and Phinehas, and they became priests also, but they went real bad. They were corrupt and immoral. See, to enrich themselves, they took the sacrifices people gave them that were to be given to God. They exploited their positions to seduce and sexually abuse the women. And Eli, he wasn't corrupt, but he knew what was going on. And he only made one feeble intervention, and then he did nothing else. He could have stopped it, but he didn't. 
Why not? Don't know. Maybe he thought they'll grow out of it. Maybe his idea of grace means always being nice, never confronting anybody. Maybe he just wants to avoid conflict. But he stands on the sidelines, does nothing, while his sons destroy everything he's given his life to. They bring down God's judgment on themselves and on Eli. They ruin everything. And it makes you want to scream. Why don't you do something? Why don't you speak truth? See, sometimes people in churches have a problem with truth. They don't. Remember, the religious people would close their ears with their hands. They didn't want to hear truth. And in marriage counseling, usually one, sometimes both, don't want to hear the harsh reality of truth. And as a result, you can't heal the marriage. You can't heal the relationship. So if Rick's going to get transformed and change, hey, I need lots of grace, lots of mercy, but I also have to have truth. And that's, it's, it's not to condemn, it's to transform me. I've got to be able to, people don't want to hear the truth. They want to hear what makes them feel good. Sometimes there are people going down a wrong path. We love them. We know it. But we don't say anything. And I guess we try to rationalize it, telling ourselves, well, we don't want to cause them any pain. We don't want them to feel bad. And they're headed down a road of disaster. There's a classic scene from the movie. It's a very good Christian movie. A few good men. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm exaggerating. All right. And toward the end of the movie, Tom Cruise, who plays a naval uh, lawyer, he's interrogating uh, the, the leader of the base, Jack Nicholson, who's on the witness stand. And it's a very tension-filled moment. And Nicholas finally says, what is it you want? to the lawyer, Tom Cruise. And Cruise says, I just want the truth. Watch the clip. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Woo. Okay. Need to say that occasionally in church. But Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth, the truth, not a lie, will make you free. John chapter eight, verse 32. So I have to decide who I believe, Jesus or Jack. <laughs> Jesus said you can know the truth, and that truth will make you miserable, but it'll make you free. So in general, most of us struggle with one or the other of these two things. So maybe ask yourself, do I wrestle more with grace? Is there going to be someone this week, our family, who will cause me to struggle with grace? <laughs> or do I withhold truth? from somebody. So the same Apostle Paul who said in Romans 15, accept one another as Christ accepted you, also said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, admonishing, that's the truth word, admonishing with all wisdom. So there is a ministry of admonishments that helps make a house become a home. And remember, truth usually hurts, but you will not grow without hearing it. And I don't care who you are. We don't ever like to hear it because it hurts. And it only hurts because you know it's true. But you just don't want to acknowledge it. You don't want to face it. Whether it's in marriage or relationship or business, sometimes an unsaved employee will say, Bill, you never show up on time. You never complete your assignments. You're always late. And God just spoke to you, but you won't acknowledge that. 
Yeah, you don't like this guy for whatever. He just gave you truth, but you'd rather refuse that truth. I'll just, I'll get another marriage. I'll get another job. Yeah, but you just went with it. And the problem is you took the lie you still believe with you and you wouldn't face the truth about yourself. I love it. Boy, when, when the bad people in the Bible went down on the knees and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And all the religious people said, well, I voted right in the election and, and I've never been drunk and I've never committed adultery and I pay my tithe. I attend church regularly. I don't wear skinny jeans. And, I'm, and Jesus said, the only guy on the stage at the temple, the only guy that went home free and justified was that guy. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's getting grace but he was facing the truth as well. And when you can do that, God jumps up. I, I, you know, you look at Saul. He, he never ran off with somebody's wife. I don't, Scripture doesn't say he ever got drunk. He just didn't do what God told him to do, and he said, the people made me. David, he was wretched. He stole a man's wife. He had a lot of wives. He had concubines. David was a bit of a scoundrel, not a good daddy, but he was a man after God's own heart, and he made one statement. When he was confronted with truth, you're the man by the prophet, he fell on his knees and said, I'm the man. I'm guilty. It's my fault. He didn't blame his wife. He didn't blame Bathsheba. He just said, it's me. I think God was so shocked somebody took responsibility he used David as a measure of the good kings versus bad kings and all the rest of Israel, comparing them to David. So it can't be truth without grace. A lot of people do truth-telling recreationally. They're what I call grace-impaired. Know somebody like that? One, one day Jesus had a group of religious leaders come to him, and they brought a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery, which makes you think it was probably set up. Of course, that wouldn't be a sin, would it? They, they set this thing up, see? And they each had a stone. And they said in John 8, Teacher, what shall we do with her? They didn't care about the woman. She's a pawn in their game to try to trap Jesus. They didn't care about her. They knew the law. They had a lot of truth. They didn't have any grace. Do you ever have a stone in your hand? A judgmental attitude? Self-righteous thoughts? Ever? Ever wonder why churches produce so many stone throwers? I think of churches I've known growing up where so many people, not all, but a lot of people are just cold and different. They didn't dance. They didn't laugh. They didn't shout. They had very little capacity for joy at all. But they did one thing with a great joy, passing judgment on other people. They regarded them spiritually inferior. Somebody's kids got a little wild. They'd pick up a stone. Somebody's marriage wasn't working real good. They'd pick up a stone. The worship leader would choose the wrong kind of song. They'd pick up a stone. The service went too long. Service was too short. It was too cold. It was too hot. Somebody crossed the line. Somebody violated a code. Somebody had a problem, you know, and word would spread, and people started picking up their stones. It's kind of weird. It seems that gathering stones energized them. They looked forward to it with glee, kind of made them feel superior, but it would never make a home. So Jesus said to all the people who brought this woman in John 8, let the one who's without sin throw the first rock. And they all had to walk away. 
And then Jesus turned to the woman and said, sweetheart, doesn't anybody here condemn you? Apparently not. Well, neither do I. Now, that's grace. No condemnation from Jesus. But then he said one more thing, verse 11. Now go and sin no more. That's grace and truth. I've had the wonderful privilege of speaking at all African-American convention three occasions and a few all-black churches in this country and around the world. And I'll tell you something you don't get with white folks. A lot of feedback. I mean, they give you the whole time. You know, if you're doing good, preach it, brother. Come on. Yes, tell it. Amen. Praise God. Yeah, they shout you down. If you're not doing too good, then they'll holler out, help him, Jesus. Help him, Lord. Help him. I'm not making that up. And I was thinking, what a great thing it would be <laughs> as a Christian community if we could just flood folks with grace and truth. And when people are, are, are doing well, we'd let them know and cheer them off. Yeah, brother, come on. Yeah, tell it. And when somebody messes up, we'd say, help them, Jesus. Please help them, Jesus. And not pick up a stone. Amen. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.